Sergio Perez wins his first Monaco Grand Prix after Ferrari bungled pole getter Charles Leclerc's strategy not once, but twice. This is the F1 Strategy Report. My name's Michael Laminato, and this is Round 7, the Monaco Grand Prix, powered by LeaveCal. Keep track of employee leave and make resource planning easy. Search LeaveCal in the Zero App Store. Charles Leclerc was the Monaco Grand Prix weekend's dominant force. He swept himself to pole position and Carlos Sainz locked out the front row to cement Ferrari's superiority this weekend. At a track like Monte Carlo, qualifying is more than half the job done. But the sudden and heavy arrival of rain at the start of the race pressured Ferrari to breaking point. The Italian team was too inattentive when Sergio Perez, third on the road, stopped for intermediate tyres. Leclerc came in too late and was undercut. Ferrari then accidentally double-stacked the Monegasque for his switch from inters to slicks, costing him a place to Max Verstappen. In just six laps, he dropped from first to fourth. Carlos Sainz could have picked up the pieces, but his stop was mistimed too, dropping him into traffic that locked him into second behind Perez, who absorbed pressure for the rest of the race to record an emotional victory. To wrap up what may well be the final Monaco Grand Prix, at least it was an interesting one, I'm joined by Grand Prix editor of The Race, Mark Hughes. Mark, welcome to the Strategy Report. Thank you, Michael. It's nice to be here um, it, it, on, our, on our different time zones. But uh, yeah, it's looking a bit dark where you are. Or is that just because you got the blinds down? No, it is. It is nighttime here, uh, tragically. It's raining almost as much as it was in Monaco by the looks of things as well down here in Melbourne. And I'm glad to see that you've managed to, to stay dry. But just give us a sense of what it was like the freneticism that we saw a little bit of through the, the telecast of course the five or ten minutes before the race started and all of a sudden the heavens opened yeah i mean it was set to be um quite a pre- pretty routine monaco grand prix i mean they're always quite you know <laughs> a bit unpredictable but um yeah i was actually in the the commentary booth because i do um a bit of spotting in the, in the, the sky booth and uh, i was looking out the window and it's Facing the you know the the, uh, the the I guess it's the south where the, the the big mountain rises up behind, and I could see this big black cloud coming up, and I thought, is that heading this way? And I I, I had a closer look, and I thought, yeah, it is. And it was like ten, it was ten to three, and I said to Crofty, Crofty's got his head buried in the 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 weather forecast online, you know. I said, Crofty, that black cloud's coming this way, and he said, no, no, it's 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 not. That's not the direction it's coming from. I'm looking here, and he says, no, no. Have a look out the window, Crofty. It really is coming this way. He said, well, there can't be any rain in that cloud. I said, what do you mean? It's black. What are you talking about? <laughs> it's coming. <laughs> and then, of course, yeah, then we got what we got. <laughs> it's, yeah. It certainly did turn the race on its head. Before we get to, of course, the effect of the rain uh, and everything that came afterwards, I do want to talk a little bit about where we are at this point in the season because I do think the last two races we've had could potentially be quite pivotal or they feel like they've been certainly a little bit of a of a twist in the expectations but we've had the the last two races one of which was of course in spain ferrari brought upgrades there we know red bull's sort of been progressively bringing these upgrades it feels like now after seven races we've got a fairly decent handle on how these two cars are performing relative to one another why was the ferrari so well suited to monaco in that case and and do we expect anything to change in the dynamic of that car now that we are fairly settled into a rhythm yeah i mean that the 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 pattern that we can discern between the two is that the ferrari uh switches on its front tires faster than the red bull and it's his um particular advantage at monaco and uh it 
it helped them in qualifying. It's part of the reason why Leclerc's got all those poles. But if um, the, the, the Ferrari, it, it puts more load on the front. So um, it starts pulling those tyres apart um, uh, quicker. So you, that's why you often see the Red Bull as the faster race car and Max able to, to pass it. And But at Monaco, it, it doesn't matter. Track position is everything. So as long as you can qualify ahead, you should be sorted. But that was to reckon without the rain, of course. And um, yeah, so... All weekend, Max was finding that the car was just a little bit too under-series, especially the beginning of the lap through Santa Volta. And he, he, tried an ex, he tried one preparation lap, two preparation laps. He tried backing off and then cool lap and then trying again. All sorts of combinations through the practices just to try and get that bite in the beginning of the lap, but he, he never could. Um, and he was just on the verge of seeming to have cracked the code on his last run in Q3. He'd done a multi-lap preparation run. And it had gone really quick in sector one. And it looked like he was certainly going to um, at least leapfrog ahead of Checo Perez, who had be- lagged behind all weekend, and maybe signs too. Leclerc was out of reach, but he was. It looked, it looked quite feasible he was going to stick it on the front row. And then, of course, he gets um, he gets caught out by Checo's uh, accident and signs piling into him in the red flag. So, um, in a way, Checo's... Uh, secured his own victory because that, that, with that accident because in hindsight because um, that meant he was the lead Red Bull in the race and he was the one in position to uh, to do the damage on Ferrari and uh, Ferrari crumbled under the pressure they, they made the wrong calls hindsight or just superb foresight from Sergio Perez maybe we'll, we'll never really know without wanting to talk down Sergio I guess because it did seem like at the end of qualifying Max had sort of started to figure things out he did after all have Max's measure through all of practice ultimately qualified ahead of him for reasons we understand and then won the Grand Prix so on the flip side of this coin what is it that seems to work or seemed to work so well for Sergio's with this car at this circuit obviously he's taken a good step forward this season compared to last year he had Paul and Jeddah and all that kind of stuff but this was a pretty high watermark for him this season yeah it's it's that less aggressive front end and he's he's very at ease with that and it's it's sort of the opposite of what Max likes and last year we had a, a perfect Max car and very very quick rotation but that brings with it a feeling of instability at the rear which you know um not everyone likes um Max was completely at ease with it and Checo took most of the season to get used to it and a lot of the Checo's predecessors in that seat also found that a very difficult trait and while Max was demonstrating that actually you could make it very very quick so yeah he struggled a bit with that but this is a much more benign car I think helped a little bit by this year's Pirellis for some reason the front tyre this year is not as strong relative to the rear as was the case last year so you've got a sort of um, built-in uh, way of, of for Checo to, to to feel more at ease with the car, but it, at Monaco, at Monaco, because you, the loads put, being fed into the tires are so low, um, the corner speeds are low, the, the the surface is not very grippy. It's just a, it's a street. Um, that re, that understeer trait was really quite marked, and that it's the first time it really resulted in. Um, Checo having a, an, a, a significant advantage every time they got in the car. And uh, yeah, so just exaggerated that trait. 
Now, I do want to go just briefly back to that start of the race period because we knew it was a Ferrari front, low lo- front row lockout with Red Bull Racing second. But then we had this really long delay. There was the rain. It's sort of been emerging since. It was unclear at the time, but this wasn't just a rain delay, was it? I mean, I, I wouldn't be the only one who was getting PTSD flashbacks from Belgium last year where it just seemed like nothing was ever happening, nothing was ever going on, lots of shots of puddles on the track. But there was a systems problem here for the FI, wasn't it? Or are we looking at this... Is this a different attitude from race control this year where everything is super cautious in in its safety element? I think there was an element of that. We got new people in places and they they just, they didn't want to get it wrong. And I I think there's probably some um, internal discussion, let's say, about what the best thing to do was when you, because it wasn't, at, at the scheduled start, it wasn't actually raining that hard. And you could feasibly have got the race underway, knowing that this big storm was coming, but at least you would have got some laps under the, under your belt and then red flagged it and waited for the storm to pass. But they didn't want to do that. Um, and th- there was later on, also, once once the, the storm had hit, there were then some the power supply issues. I mean, our, our screens went down in the, the commentary booths as well for a, a few minutes. Um and I think that played into the indecision and the difficulties. And certainly that was the reason why he, at the second red flag, once the race got underway and then Mick Schumacher had his crash, we had a rolling restart for no apparent reason when we would have expected a a standing start because the track was, you know, um, no longer wet. It was, it was damp offline, but it was, it was no longer wet. And that, But that was apparently because the... Um, they couldn't be sure that the gantry lights were going to work because of the power supply problem. So this was just the quickest way to get the thing underway. Um, so, yeah, all sorts of confusion. Um, there were, it, it first, tires, teams were being told you can fit any tires. And then they said, no, it's going to be a safety car, so you must be on the extreme wets. But they, they're not allowed to bring all the, all the different sets of tires onto the grid. So they had to rush off and take the old tyres away and rush back on so mechanics are crashing into each other tyres are falling off trolleys people are falling over it was just absolute chaos yeah and of course everybody's completely drenched and then just uh, <laughs> yeah miserable so yeah it was very <laughs> very confused start and then we had the, uh, the, 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 the the two lap reconnaissance which behind the safety car and they, that didn't count that wasn't part of the race that was just a sort of reconnaissance behind the safety car but we still had a couple of cars go off there as well so yeah <laughs> <laughs> it was just it was really really chaotic um but uh, yeah got there they got there in the end even though it wasn't the full that wasn't the full distance at least it got past the 75 percent distance which is required for full points so yeah it, we got there in the end yeah you wouldn't have thought all those those uh, changes those muscles that were developed in belgium last year may have come into play already so quickly but here we are let's have a look at how this race did unfold there was a real crucial five laps really in in what ended up being roughly the middle of this grand prix that decided this one it didn't quite start with sergio perez on lap 16 switching to inters but for the sake of the front running battle that was certainly the case that's where it all started to happen by then, Gasly had already switched to intermediate tyres. A couple of the midfielders and backmarkers had already been a little bit more speculative on that that early change. And it wasn't immediately paced, but by the time we got to lap 16, Gasly had already set a fastest lap on those intermediate tyres. Yet Ferrari didn't respond for two laps to Perez coming in, an unusual amount of time. Mm. What Was this the biggest sin of Ferrari in this race, this weird 
dithering after Perez came in? Yeah, there was a couple of things at play there. One was they totally underestimated just how much quicker the intermediate was than the wet by this stage of the race. I mean, it was a whole chunk, like over four seconds a lap faster, which by the, by this this time. And they hadn't twigged that. They, they Obviously, they knew it was coming into Inter's territory. But actually, it, we, if if they hadn't had to start behind a safety car and therefore weren't obliged by the regulation to start on wets, I think most teams would probably have even started on the Inter's because it was clear it was going to quickly move into that phase. But but anyway, because you're all packed tight early in the early in the race, nobody could really you would lose far too many positions by pitting and getting onto the inters so that's why you only saw a few people at the back try it um so yeah ferrari a they underestimated just how big that difference was and they had um i think at the time when perez peeled off from the pit lane leclerc was eight seconds up the road so they didn't think there was any particular urgency to to get him in on the next lap um which they were in the middle of a discussion with science about whether to, because uh, science wanted, as you will have heard, wanted to go all the way through, miss out the inters phase, and get straight onto the, uh, the the dry weather tyres, and that actually was the right way to do it uh, in terms of track position. If, if you had track position, as Ferrari did, they should have done that with both cars, and then you could have used science to, um, you know, just be in the way, um, and that way. Leclerc would have been protected but they they thought they had the luxury of a couple of laps to have this discussion and they didn't they had to get him in straight they had to get Leclerc in the the lap after Perez pitted not two laps after and uh, that's what's what lost them the place by a couple of seconds it's strange though isn't it I know we could probably sit here talking about weird decisions Ferrari's made not only in this race but in several others for a long time but it's sort of been known almost in all of Pirelli's time in Formula 1, that the wet tyre's kind of just not that good relative to the intermediate. It doesn't take that much more drying for the intermediate really to come into its own. And I know, obviously, there was a degree of that freneticism again at the start of the race. Maybe everyone was a little bit unsettled, and yes, it was a huge gap, but... It just seemed. I mean, this was. It just seemed very strange, even by Ferrari standards, that there would just be such a, a lack of responsiveness here. Yeah, I mean, um, Seb Vettel christened up the safety car tire. He mm. said that's all it's good for. It's just the just the tire that you put on when you have to be behind a safety car. Um, it, it really doesn't. It, it's not very quick at all. But um, it's, it was all about track position, and you know, as soon as. So, uh, as soon as Checo had enough of a gap of uh, George Russell that he could drop back into it without being um, held up in traffic, the, the Red Bull made the call, and that that was it. And Ferrari, they didn't need to do that. They they could have done that, um, but if they'd done that, then the Red Bull stays out and maybe tries to get straight onto dry. So I can understand why they didn't want to uh, pull the trigger, as it were. They wanted to let Red Bull pull the trigger first. But I think as soon as Red Bull had pulled the trigger, they needed to respond immediately. And I think that's 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 where it went wrong. On the other hand, you mentioned there that the one-stop strategy did end up being the correct one because there was such a small period of time that the intermediate tyre, at least in the way the field was forming, was going to be so beneficial. Red Bull Racing both uh, opted, for, opted for a two-stop strategy for both cars. It was an interesting weekend overall, I guess, from Max. We've talked about how he felt a little bit off the pace for the entirety of the weekend, almost right up until the lap he didn't get to do in Q3. 
Was there a degree of just obviously understanding that Monaco overtaking is pretty difficult of just letting the race come to them? Was that a little bit the difference that Red Bull was just sort of playing those cards a little bit better? Because on the other hand, Max, there would have been a good excuse to be a little bit more ambitious with that one-stop strategy and split strategies there. But in the end, they just decided to, to play it as it was laying. Yeah, I think um, the Red Bull seem now to be using Max or doing Max's campaign um, in a, a a safe, in a quite a safe, conservative way, mm-hmm. as if as if they feel that the, the championship will come to them as long as they don't do anything badly wrong, and um, you know it was uh, it, the, the the way that they they'd ended up qualifying with Checo ahead. It, it made it the natural thing to use Checo as the uh, you know the, the the cutting edge, the experiment to put the pressure on Ferrari. Uh, rather than Max, because um, you know he at that they, they couldn't have brought in Max on that lap actually because he would he, he wouldn't have cleared George. So um, if they were going to use that strategy, it had to be with Checo to try and jump Ferrari to try and pull that trigger before Ferrari. It had to be with Checo because he was better placed. So yeah, Max was just on the safe strategy really, um, and just so they didn't do anything wrong. And it's all, it's almost like that is how they're playing it. They're just playing it. Um, you know, this is just one race and we're struggling a little bit this weekend. So, yeah, we'll get a podium and don't worry too much about it. Uh, we'll, we'll we'll win plenty more races yet. It's certainly a contrast, I think, to... Well, I mean, you can hear the radio for yourself, anyone who's listened to it, uh, to the Ferrari communications, I think, much more... Uh, energetic, not always in a good way, I think it is fair to say. Now, the second round of stops really sealed the deal here. And let's talk about science, as we've sort of mentioned already, went straight from, from wets to slicks. His stop ended up being a little bit early, not necessarily just as a pure overcut, but the timing of the stop was a little bit wrong. You know, we talked about Verstappen being able to stop earlier because he would have dropped into traffic. This just ended up being maybe a lap out of place, and suddenly you had Leclerc, who was already frustrated, to Carlos Sainz, who suddenly felt a little bit aggrieved about the way his strategy was being pulled off as well. Yeah, um, the the complication for him was that the those wets were really very very old, um, and they were they were falling off quite quickly. And actually, that it just made things worse for Leclerc because they were planning on bringing them both in on that lap, um, and they had enough time. They thought to not have Leclerc stacked. He would just be able to come straight in. Science would be out of the way. But Science was so slow on the in-lap because the tyres were falling away that they realised late in the lap that actually it's going to involve stacking Charles. And so that's where he would have heard, stay out, stay out, stay out, but he's already in. So, um, yeah, that lost Leclerc another place to Max. Uh, so, yeah, um <laughs> It really, it really. They lost the race twice. They lost it with um, the, the 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 Checo um, uh, response being a lap too late, and then they lost it with uh, Carlos because, um, well, it, that was he was unlucky with Latifi there. He, you know, as, as he came out the pits, Latifi's you know accelerating out of Sandovot. And yes, he's got a lot more momentum, and yes, he can obviously pass as, as, as the Ferrari's still getting up to speed, but. Why? Why would you do that? You know, you're not racing a Ferrari, so why? Why not just keep, just blend off the throttle a little bit, let them go, um, and it did cost. It cost them well. It cost Science well over a second, and then on top of that, he it, it, it didn't get the tire temperatures because he spent you know from the pit exit to the tunnel trying to find a way past, and 
yeah, Checo got by with by less than that. So it, it did it did cost them position and therefore the race. So yeah, they they lost it twice. The first time was their own fault. The second time was just uh, bad luck on in, in Latifi sort of running interference. I did enjoy Williams' cameo in this race because it was Albon with uh, Leclerc as well earlier in the race, who said he didn't see a need to let Leclerc by because it would have been self-defeating, that he would have just passed him back because his tyres were warming up. It did just seem like there was someone out there looking for Ferrari at some point, every point in this race, just about. But it's something we've seen before in Monaco, hasn't it? There's the nature of the track. There was a point where there was really poor even signal communications around that part of, of the circuit. I think Mercedes won year brought that up uh, when it pitted Hamilton erroneously before a safety car that sometimes radio communications are not working but it it really strikes me that thinking about Leclerc's double stack in particular that Ferrari's dealing with its own data there now yes that gap closed as you said pretty late in the lap because science was falling off so dramatically but it just seems shocking that it, it it's dealing with its own cars and and it missed that opportunity and I thought it was really interesting the way Charles Leclerc was really willing to I don't know if we'd say put the boot into the team afterwards but it was certainly none of the win and lose attitude of Spain when the car failed did it it felt like this was a real critical failure for Ferrari no it was they, they it's as if they had um not really prepared enough for the all eventualities it was almost as if they were so secure in their, their pace advantage which was very real that um, but they hadn't they hadn't planned for anything to to go wrong and they, they, as you say they, they, there are always communication issues around that place just because of the the, the geography of the place you know the big mountains and in the background so you, you you are relying on your own data from the the the, the, the transponders and the the the, the, sects, the the little mini sectors um, on on the circuit and it's not uh, it's not a very accurate you you don't get the same fidelity as you get with uh, as you would get if you had proper reception um but that's known as you say that's been known forever and it's not, it's not it's as if they didn't plan they didn't do any mm, disaster planning if you like it was always it's, it's all they went into that race almost i think on the assumption that they they were in control and they would have been but there are always randomizing factors and we got one and uh, yeah they didn't respond well Always a big black cloud coming down the mountain. That's how a 1-2 became a 2-4. I'm curious to take a bit of a broader picture on this one because you know, Ferrari's come into title contention a little bit suddenly, I think it's fair to say. you know, They came from a long way back a couple of years ago, took a decent step last year, put a lot of focus this year, and now here we are. And progressively been ticking a lot of boxes this season, I think it's fair to say. The driver's obviously pretty solid. Carlos Sainz has moved on a little bit now since he's sort of crashed thrown earlier races. The development seems to have ticked the box as well. We've only had a couple of races since Spain, but that seemed to deliver most of the benefit they were expecting. Even their pit stops have generally improved. But there's always been this question mark about decision-making on the pit wall. It's unfair to say, you know, Ferrari forever has been like this because teams change, personnel and teams change. It's not the same Ferrari of, of how long ago. Why does it seem to be, in, in your opinion, that this does seem to be a key weakness of Ferrari in a way that it doesn't seem to continue in that way with other teams? I once asked Stefano Domenicali this when he was the boss of Ferrari after the um, 
Singapore. Remember when Massa mm. uh, in two thousand and eight we left the pits with the fuel hose still attached and you know had been in position to have, to have won the race. The most memorable um, thing to happen in that Grand Prix, obviously. <laughs> well, second or third, but yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but probably the most significant, and yeah. because it, um, it, it it decided the outcome of the World Championship in hindsight. Um, but it it. Um, and he he was almost accepting in his answer. He, he said, I, "I don't know. I, I've thought about this many times." And he said, "I think it is just part of how we are." He said, "It's just the the emotion, and you know we we can control it. Uh, but when we get um, a high emotive situation, and you have to think logically and cold and straight, sometimes we just can't." And I, it it sounds you know cliched and you know I hesitate to say it borderline racist, but it's not. It, it that that is just how he felt that that culture, the Italian culture is is you know it it that <clears throat> that passion drives the team on and it it it, it gives it, it it enables it to do these sudden transformative things and um, the the creativity in there. Is what's given them this fantastic car, and what like back in 2017 they came out with a completely different interpretation of the aero regs around the side pods, and that was just—it's now it was widely copied for the next few years by everyone. So they are a very creative force. Um, they've gone from the weakest engine last year to the best engine this year. Uh, they, they, there's so many things they get right, um, and they can put structures in place to you know function well but in moments of high intensity when it's um when it looks like they could be having something taken from them it, it always that always seems to be when it when it looks like the 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 by rights they should win on performance but it looks like they're gonna get something taken from them by circumstance they, they, they just historically don't react well and uh, we saw we saw this another example um, on Sunday. Looking at the championship overall as well, thinking particularly about these two Grand Prix since that upgrade in Spain, Ferrari came into these two races. I think most people came into these two races expecting Ferrari to do very well, and certainly for the first uh, ten or so laps of all of these races, they were leading comfortably, or Charles Leclerc was leading them both comfortably. He scored twelve out of a possible. 52 points Ferrari scored 42 out of a possible 88 points it is a very long season as Charles himself said on the radio and we're only about a third of the way through but how much do you suspect this fortnight of racing is going to define this next chapter of the championship given it felt like this was the opportunity for Ferrari to restore restore a little bit of equilibrium in that in that title fight with Red Bull but now are still behind well yeah but it's it's in Ferrari's own hands really they have a super fast car there's no two ways about that. Um, the it's nip and tuck between it and the Red Bull, but it can usually qualify ahead. Um, they're behind, and they could have been well in front by now. But that you know that that's that's just you just got to regroup, and you you know you have the basis there for a a, a very strong championship challenge, and uh, there's no reason why you know it should be all disaster just because. The last, the last few races haven't gone well as well as they should have done. Um, I, I, I'm still hopeful that we're going to see them turn that form around and we're going to have a, a proper battle. I, I, I don't envisage, I might be wrong, but I don't envisage suddenly Red Bull now 
picking it up and just walk, walking away with it. I, I don't see it that way. I think it, it, it'll still continue to be nip and tuck. Certainly, I think most people will hope that, noting that Baku and Montreal coming up, high-speed circuits may swing things back the other way, but we'll wait and see exactly how they all stretch their legs. And, and as a final question here, I do, of course, want to mention Sergio Perez, who absorbed pressure very well late in the race to win this Grand Prix. He had a great weekend overall, and it sounds like he's probably already re-signed with Red Bull because he said so, <laughs> uh, and we just wait for the announcement, presumably. Uh, but, of course, we know the circuit did help, right? The circuit helped him because he's, he's well-suited to the circuit, and it helped with the car and all that kind of thing but the circuit does help defensively just ask Fernando Alonso and Lewis Hamilton towards the end of, of that race as well there's been a lot of talk in the last week about Monaco's future on the calendar it's been around for a very long time of course this has always been the nature of it what's your perspective on where it fits into Formula One today because on the one hand it does feel like F1's sort of outgrown it in a racing sense but it's very difficult also to imagine F1 without it yeah, I mean, it's a showcase event, isn't it? It's just, it's where um, F1 sort of struts its stuff. It's 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 the, the traditional uh, sort of glamorous location that people associate with the sport. Um, and it is a beautiful, it is a beautiful scene. Um, but it, in, yeah, I mean, as, as a race, it's it, it, it's less suitable than ever with the, the, the big wide cars. Um, they're very clunky and awkward around, around this place. But it would be a shame, I think, if a place couldn't be found in the calendar for it, just because of you know personalities and instrangents. I think um, that that link with the history is is you know important. And um, but that's not to say I think it's inevitable that it will stay just because it's it, 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 it's got history. I don't think it is inevitable. I think it, it's it's touch and go at the moment, and I think. Um, ACM really, if it, the way I'm reading between the lines of the the, the, the comments on the two sides, if um, ACM wants to rescue it, it it's got to get back to the negotiating table with a different attitude. It would be a shame to see it go, if not just because we won't see wins like Sergio Perez, we won't get to see people back that one up at a minimum and not to mention of course all the history as well if it was the last one at least it gave us something interesting to talk about i suppose don't know how much consolation that might be next year if we're thinking about where it's gone but nonetheless an interesting race to talk about and it was a pleasure to be joined by you mark thanks michael yeah and um i hope we're gonna um, have a few more intrigues in the in the coming races let's let's stay tuned This has been a humbling couple of weeks for Ferrari, with technical problems and human error costing it both championship leads after building them up so confidently early in the season. The year is long and the SF75 is still quick, but as Charles Leclerc said after the race, you can't win championships with races like these. The high-speed Azerbaijan is up next, and that'll be a real test against the slipperier Red Bull cars. Thanks very much to Mark Hughes for joining me. The Strategy Report is powered by LeaveCal. Keep track of employee leave and make resource planning easy. Search LeaveCal in the Zero App Store. You can subscribe to The Strategy Report wherever you get your favourite podcasts and don't forget to leave us a rating and a review to help spread the word. You can also find us on social media. The Strategy Report is a beer mogul podcast. Special thanks to Ben Lope from Bloke Designs for the show artwork and our theme music is by Simon Hosford. My name's Michael Laminato and I'll be back in a couple of weeks to review the Azerbaijan Grand Prix.